What? Who do I look like? You look like a white Keenan. A white Keenan? Yeah. Like like the guy from... Uh, Keenan and Kel? From- <laughs> wait. Wait a minute. Or do I mean Kel? I don't know. Which one are you thinking of? Who's on SNL now? That would be... I th- I'm pretty sure that's Keenan. Yeah, you're, you're like a white Keenan. Keenan. I mean, I've gotten White Denzel before. Well, but I don't, I don't know. White Keenan, but he doesn't even have a beard. I have a beard. It's the way it's the faces you make. It's I. It's all about those facial expressions. I don't want to agree with you, but I haven't seen enough of Keenan and Kel to disagree. So I can't really. I mean, it's basically a fact because I said it. <laughs> I guess I, I guess I can't argue with that. Thanks, Mark. Howdy, y'all! Welcome to the hey, closing. What? You can't do that. <laughs> I kind of just—I mean, no, it's fine. I kind of did. It's fine, and you just ruined it after that. What's up, everybody? Aloha, y'all. <laughs> um, how's everyone doing today? We're in kind of a giddy mood because yeah. uh, I just—you know—we got—we got a lot of good stuff today. We're excited. I'm very excited. Woo! I am for sure. We're going to hear from some cool people today. Heck yeah, man. Welcome to the Frozen North Gaming Podcast. Mark and I are here to talk about video games, but it's not just going to be us. You're going to hear tons of other voices because we asked and you answered. And holy crap, we got a lot of submissions. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll get to that at some point in the show. But to get started off with episode number 81, Mark, what the heck have you been playing? I've been play- <laughs> playing one game. Can you guess what game it is? Uh, Candy Crush. All right, well, I have been playing uh, <laughs> Witcher uh, 3, I would imagine. I've been playing The Witcher 3, yes, very true. And I'm really getting into Gwent. It's so much fun. Oh, you would. It's so good! Uh, I got all the special cards from the Baron, from uh, from Stepjan. I don't know how to say his wait, name. Wait, all, all the special cards? I thought you can only get one. I mean, I got the special card from each of the three guys oh, gotcha. in, that first, okay. all right. in that first region. So I'm doing pretty good now. I'm, I'm pretty good at the game. At... at Gwent, not right. not the Witcher. I still kind of suck at the Witcher. <laughs> if I'm fighting like a a ghoul, uh, not a ghoul. If I'm fighting any kind of ghost type creature, basically, if he's fighting just, an enemy. Whoa, whoa! I'm pretty good with those necrophages. Oh, but that's it. There you go. <laughs> it's a pretty awesome game. I I played quite a bit of Gwent, but just enough to to beat like do the quests for it, right? And then get through it. I mean, once you get like a certain amount of cards, I was pretty much one shotting everybody. It really nice. wasn't that tough to to do it until the tournament. The tournament I, I had to to try a couple of times because it was uh, it was pretty tough. You haven't gotten that far yet, I don't think. No. Cool. I I uh, also was playing The Witcher Three. I finished it, and I did a whole bunch of side quests and stuff like that too. And I got a different ending than Brian. So if we if we do a review, uh, the three of us will will be together on that, and uh, we'll probably talk about the endings we got. We got to wait for Mark to get through it. Yeah. Uh, so we can hear which one he gets. I believe there's three main endings. Then a bunch of variations. A bunch of small little variations, yeah. Um, and Ryan and I got two different ones, so it's up to Mark to get the other one. So we'll don't, see. don't screw this up, man. It's on your shoulders. But that's not that's not good. <laughs> but 
but fantastic game nonetheless. I, I, yeah. I absolutely adored it, um, and I, I'm I'll probably I'm probably going to do what Brian said he's going to do and wait till all the expansions are out and then just play everything uh, together. Right. So uh, it's really interesting too because I mean I the first four or five hours I really wasn't into the game, but every time I kept putting more time into it, I just got way more engrossed. Yeah. And now I I love it. Yeah, it just seemed like the the farther I got and the more I did, the more I wanted to keep going. And, oh man, when you get to Skellige, you're going to like it even more. That's where I really, really started to to want to dig in. It looks pretty sweet. So, very, very cool. Um, I did that, and I also uh, been playing Final Fantasy VII, obviously, on stream. I'm at the end of the game, so pretty much grinding. Did you do I'm, everything? I'm trying to platinum it, so I'm going to do everything, uh, but I'm I'm just grinding at the end right now. I don't think it'll be as bad because of the three times speed, but uh, man, it's it's gonna take some time for sure. Because I'm only like I think level like sixty four or something like that, and I have to get to ninety nine. Oh, you got a ways to go. Yeah, uh, but I, I've done almost all the side stuff. I think I have one more side area, and then the uh, the two big optional bosses uh, to take down. Yeah, the weapons. Other than that, though, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much ready to roll and, and and beat the thing. So I I freaking love that game. It's a really good game. And then I also played through uh, Metal Gear Solid 5 Ground Zeroes uh, because I'm going to be playing through MGS5, The Phantom Pain, soon. I actually just got it today. So I uh, hopefully will be able to start that maybe later today or uh, tomorrow. Today is Saturday. Nice. Yeah, I am just Ground Zeroes alone was very, very cool, and I can tell that I'm in for a wild ride, so... It should be uh, should be very interesting. I've heard nothing but great things about the game, so I'm excited to play it. The yep. only thing I'm a little kind of sketchy about is that I haven't I've only played two. Uh, I haven't played any of the other games in the series, so I'm hoping that doesn't hurt me at all. But uh, from what I understand, I should be okay as long as I just focus more on the gameplay than than trying to like you know put everything together. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And it should be said, uh, the Steam sale that nobody saw coming has been announced. It's uh, the Lunar New, <coughs> New Year. And they actually have a slight discount on Metal Gear Solid Five, if you're interested. There you go. So, check it out. Heck yeah. Uh, we got an email I wanted to read from uh, Hijinks. I actually got to uh, meet him up at uh, SoPro Gaming. Nice. Um, I, was, I was up there, and uh, he, oh, I, I think he overheard me talking to, uh, to Tony, uh, one of the owners up there. And we kind of just started, started striking up conversation stuff, and... And then I'm like sitting here and he starts telling me these things and I'm like, I feel like I've heard this before. And I had gotten this email from him uh, saying this stuff and I just hadn't responded yet. And then at the at the end when, you know, we, we shook hands and, and, you know, he said he was hijinks. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I want to say that's the guy that sent me an email and I just haven't responded yet. And now I feel like a jerk if I haven't. But I didn't want to say, hey, was right. that you that sent you me that? You don't want to be wrong. wrong. Yeah. So I got home and I, I checked the email and sure enough it was him. So I sent him an email right away and I was like, "Hey man, was that you that I that I met uh, the other day and whatever?" And uh, uh, it was really good talking to you. And he sent back, he's like, "Yeah, no, no problem, stuff." And a really really nice guy. But uh, here here's kind of what he had to say. This was uh, he he sent this right after episode seventy nine um, when we were uh, talking about games that we had been playing and and kind of just put it out there like, "Let us know what you've been playing," that kind of stuff. So. He says, uh, Dear Frozen North Podcast, hey there, new listener here. Just finished episode 79. You guys want to know I've been playing in the past week or so. I've completed, and holy crap, <laughs> Warhammer 40K, Dawn of War, the RTS. He says he's completely new to Warhammer 40K in general, and he had a good time. The story was well done. Uh, the gameplay was solid and fun, uh, if a little bit repetitive. 
uh, Sepia Tears, which is a visual novel. He says he really liked the story. The author writer has a sense of humor that kept him in stitches. He says, I don't always play visual novels, but I'm glad I played this one. I've never really been huge into visual novels either, either. Yeah. but they're becoming very, very popular. I mean, they've been popular in Japan for a long time, but they're starting to show up on like Steam, a yeah. lot of them. So it's very cool that we're getting that option now. It's... It is it cool? It's a little misleading because I, you know, I mean, I look for JRPGs and I see the art style in some of those, and I'm like, oh, sweet! It's wait, what? Well, no, what? But that's what everyone good. in Japan deals with, and they're all fine that's with true. it. So that's true. They're used to it. Yeah, they yeah. like it. Um, but yeah, apparently, apparently, a lot of the stuff is pretty good. So I don't know. Uh, he says I've been playing Rocket League. This is, in my opinion, a multiplayer game that has an equal chance of the player winning and losing. Having an organized team will only stack the odds in your favor, but if you play by yourself, you're not 100% dependent on your teammates. As a player who plays solo most of the time, I enjoy this balancing. I agree 100%. That is exactly how that game plays. Uh, World of Warships, Tanks, and Warplanes. And he feels the same way about it as Rocket League. Path of Exile. He played through it several months ago, put it down, and uh, he just wanted to pick it up again. Uh, Wolf, the Red Hood Diaries. I have not heard of that one. I haven't either. Uh, he says, started this, it's one of those respin on the kid's fairy tale. It makes me laugh at all the references and the ways the developers rewrote Little Red Riding Hood. That makes sense. Uh, Dead Hunt. A recent find on Steam. It's a zombie survival shooter, but it's from the disc era of PC games. Early 2000s, I think. Nice. Played it while listening to episode 79. Most important factor, I'm having a literal blast playing this. Literal blast. Does that mean his computer like exploded? Yes. Like literally? Is that your... I mean, there's lots of different <laughs> kinds of blasts. True. So True. Uh, then he says, Endless Legend. Closest analogy for this is Civ Five, with a lot of background story text, world building, and the more difficult civilization mechanics. Which, that sounds kind of cool, because the civilization games are amazing. They're so good. Uh, and then he says, Audio Surf 2. This game turns a song into a points-gathering game. One mode lets you control a wakeboarder as you surf down the songs up and downs. Definitely fun if you have a high BPM song and aren't really into the whole dancing idea. Your speakers are playing something. Yeah, it was an automatic video that, that popped up. Advertisement. Nice. Do we get money for that if it's on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't understand what they were saying. Uh, that was the whole email. I, I've played... I didn't even know there was an Audio Surf 2. I remember playing yeah, I, the first Yeah, I heard one. about that, but I, I mean, what do you add to Audio Surf? Yeah, that's why I was kind of like, Audio Surf 2? What, what did they do differently? But, yeah, I mean, Audio Surf was kind of cool. It was. It was, like, it was like one of the first games that ever showed up on Steam that wasn't made by Valve. Right. And I think the guy that made it actually got, you know, fairly wealthy off of it. So that's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, But anyways, yeah. Hi, Jinx. Thank you uh, very much again for the email. And uh, it was good to meet you the other day. Actually, you guys will hear from him again when we uh, we play our segment a little later with uh, from all the contributors. So, if you would like to email us, you can do so at frozennorthpodcast at gmail.com. Our website is fngaming.net. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash thefrozennorth. Our Twitter is at fnpodcast. Our blog is frozennorthpodcast.blogspot.com. We are on Twitch at twitch.tv slash frozennorthgames. And I stream usually Wednesday and Thursday nights between 6 and 9 p.m. Uh, Lately, I've had some other stuff come up, so I think the past two Thursdays I haven't been able to stream. But uh, Mark and Tank have both filled in, uh, and I think Mark was playing Witcher. Yes. And Tank was playing Final Fantasy VIII. Yep. Uh, so definitely, definitely show them some love. Hop over there if you see them on as well. Um, I should be there this week, though, for both nights, uh, not just Wednesday. So, uh, yeah, come say hi and yeah. uh, talk some gaming. And you know what? If you listen to this contributor segment and you're like, man, I got to get in on this, 
just rewind the podcast 30 seconds and listen to that spiel again. And that's how you get in contact with us. Yep. To do your little contributor segments. Absolutely. Very cool. Uh, and then we are actually on YouTube now as well. Not like any video crazy stuff at this point, but our episodes are uploaded at least because I know there's some people who were requesting that so they could you know play games and listen to it on their computer while they were doing so. And um, everyone, everyone's taken the opportunity to tease me for calling it Netflix twice last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I actually got several messages saying like, hey, I'm just listening to you guys on Netflix right now. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's on YouTube under Frozen North Gaming. Uh, so please hop over there, give us a subscribe, and uh, yeah, listen on there if you uh, if that's your your preferred outlet. And we're on iTunes. All about choice. Absolutely. And we're on iTunes, where we still would love for you to subscribe and rate us on there. Oh, yeah. You rate us, you leave us a comment that get us, gets us more visibility to other people. So we really, really would appreciate you, you to do that. Announcements. We got a couple. <laughs> Why do you look surprised? Oh, see announcement because I didn't. I didn't put that on yours. I typed that up myself this morning. I apologize. Oh man, <laughs> announcements for Mark. Uh, first up, Nova Star Gaming. If you remember, we we've talked about them several times on the show. I actually, interviewed them a while back. They're a, another local gaming center here in Kansas City. Uh, they have. They're, they're actually doing a bunch of new stuff over there. Uh, they've got some new hours up. Twelve noon to twelve midnight, seven days a week. So seven days a week. Wow. Twelve hours of gaming. Yeah. So uh, head up there, show them some love, and that's starting February 1st. So, yeah, it's already going on, 12 to 12. Um, and also, to go along with that, they're actually doing a whole new They're doing a whole new membership program. It, it looks like it's actually pretty detailed. It looks like they've got uh, several different tiers. If you head over to their website, uh, novastargaming.com, you can uh, actually see all, the, uh, all the, the new features that they have for, their, uh, for the different tiers that they, they're doing for their pricing structure. Um, but, I mean, it, it flat out says, I'm reading it right from the page, it says all you can game for as little as two thirty three per day, depending on you know the, the tier that you choose and you go into. And it's a pay-per-monthly thing, um, and then you get a free T-shirt out of it. You can cancel any time. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's unlimited gaming with these plans. So, I mean, that sounds pretty freaking awesome. Uh, so definitely go over there, show them some love. And uh, also, when you, when you go to their website, make sure to kind of poke around a little bit because they did some remodeling, and it actually looks really clean. It looks a lot better. Um, their uh, their website novastargaming.com so definitely go over there check them out and uh, go over there do some gaming absolutely especially if you're into like uh, any kind of competitive gaming yeah being able to go and meet with the people you're actually facing you can discuss things they can improve in their strategy you know just collaborate and get better at the games together absolutely they do they do uh, League of Legends nights they do Smash Brothers tournaments freaking I mean you're just not going to learn the same level of stuff if you're playing at home as right. if you meet people in person. So I, I, it's definitely worth it. Absolutely. And even you know what? Even if you do play at home, if you're wondering about a new competitive, <laughs> new competitive game that just came out and you haven't picked it up yet, you want to figure out you know whether you want to actually buy it or not or something like that, this is the perfect way to go check it out and try yeah. it beforehand. A, you're going to get to try the game itself. B, you're going to get to play with other people. And who knows, you may even just say, screw it, I'm not going to buy it. I'm just going to go up here and play with them, you know, and, and absolutely with a regular group. So, uh, big shout out to Nova Star. And speaking of uh, local Kansas City Gaming Centers, uh, we are actually going to be recording from SoPro Gaming on the 26th for their lock-in of February. So, we will be there live. 
sort of live. I mean, we'll be there live. But we won't be recording live. I'll be lifting we'll my be, Red we'll Bull re- band. We'll be recording. That's not. They won't hear it live. <laughs> there, you. There you go. But as always, we will be lively recording. Yes. It. In that. Sure. In that case, every episode's live. Is this live right now? Yeah, we're live. Okay, we're live in my apartment. <laughs> okay. Oh boy. All right. So, Mark, what's your favorite game of all time? What did I say last week? <laughs> oh my gosh. Are you? You're not really looking, are you? I'm looking. Final Fantasy VI. Man, how might be Final how Fantasy you VII? Not, you, you that wasn't even on your list, was it? I don't, man. I, I might have been on my list. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember your list. Here's the deal. <laughs> it's like uh, a scatter chart, and everything's real close together on that scatter chart. Well, considering you've only played like four games total. Inaccurate. There are five games on that list. Well, absolutely. There were five games on the list, but I mean, I could throw 20 games on a list. That doesn't mean I played all 20 of them. Uh, but the, the, the look that I just got. <laughs> um, well, I'm curious. What do our contributors think? Why don't we find out? Like we said, we asked, you guys answered, and uh, the response was overwhelming. We can't thank all you guys enough. So, uh, I mean, there's really it's not much else thing. to say. Here we go. Let's uh, let's listen to some uh, contributor responses. What is your favorite game? Hey, everyone. This is your favorite bro gamer, Brandon, here. Uh, just here to talk about my favorite game. So, I couldn't narrow it down to just one. I had to narrow it down to a favorite multiplayer game and a favorite single-player game. So my favorite multiplayer game was Halo 3. Uh, Halo 3 was the first Halo that I ever really played. Uh, I didn't play Halo 1 or 2. I didn't have an original Xbox. So I had uh, 360, and it was my first year in college when Halo 3 came out. And the memories that I had playing those games was just incredible. Uh, Just a very nostalgic feel for me uh, whenever I think about Halo 3. I think I've probably played close to 5,000 multiplayer matches uh, all said and done. So that is my favorite multiplayer game. My favorite single-player game is God of War 1 for the PlayStation. That was back before achievements were around, back before I concentrated heavily on multiplayer games. I just played the crap out of that game. I played it on the hardest difficulty and beat it several times just for the pure enjoyment of that game. I love the story. I love the feel of it. It's, it's probably one of my favorite accomplishments that I've done is beating that game on the hardest difficulty. So those are two of my favorite games that I have. Thank you. Hey, everybody. This is Mark the Machine out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Folks, I'm coming to you with my very favorite game. That game is The Witcher 3. Now, out of a library of RPGs, that I enjoy. Even story-based gaming as a whole has kind of spread into shooters and uh, casual gaming even, but The Witcher 3's depth, breadth, and power just resonated with me. I couldn't put it down. Uh, Just as a quick example, because the guys have talked about this game at length and how good it is, Uh, at one point you have to make a decision on a love interest, And when I shot one of those girls down, I felt like a heel. I was beside myself with guilt. And this is not a real person. I was just heartbroken over the damage that I had done to this NPC. And that's kind of when I realized that I was 
uh, fully immersed and really involved in the world and, and in the universe. Um, and also the combat, the leveling system, I went straight mage, but you can go swords, you can go traps. Uh, it's, it's the options are out there, but I tell you what, Gwent. Oh my goodness. I love Gwent. I would just log on and run around playing Gwent with people. And it was wildly satisfying. I loved Gwent. Gwent is also my favorite side game or game within a game. Uh, so guys, I'm thrilled to be a part of this and Witcher three, if you haven't played it, please do yourself a favor and do. Frozen North Podcast, Episode 80. What is my favorite game of all time? My favorite game of all time is the Batman Arkham series. True, it's not a singular game, but with the Batman Arkham series, it's hard to choose. I grew up reading Batman comics, and the Batman Arkham series was a dream come true for me. It lets you be what Batman is portrayed to be. An epic crime fighter who uses his fists, intelligence, gadgets car <laughs> in one specific instance to battle an array of villains from his gallery of villainy I suppose is a good word for it from the lore to all the continuity nods to the combat to just the plain old story I just really enjoyed the Batman Arkham series that's why it's my favorite game of all time plus it's Batman how can you beat Batman you just swoop out of nowhere, knock a guy out, and everybody's instantly panicked. That was probably my favorite part of being Batman. Hi, Jing's out. Hey, my name's Sean, and my favorite game of all time is Grand Theft Auto V. And I've had a lot of favorite games as time has gone on from when I started playing video games in the early 90s until now. But i got to give my favorite game ever to the game I've logged the most hours into. I think that game just hit at a perfect time in my life when I had a lot of free time on my schedule for about three, four months, and I had a lot of friends who had that game. I love the fact that game intertwined three storylines into one, allowing you to play three different characters as you wanted, kind of depending on the mood you were in. Am I in the mood to go shoot up the place? I get to play with Trevor. Was I in the mood to cruise around looking for really nice cars? I always felt like doing that with Franklin. And then was I looking just to wander around and look for hidden stuff in the game? I did that with Michael. And I found that very fun that I got to have three characters I played completely differently and had a reason to try out each and every one of them. And with that game, I fell in love with the part that I know a lot of people did not fall in love with. But the online features of that game in the early stages were pure chaos and out of control. And I hit right at the time that came out and there were a lot of problems and you could hardly get on servers. But when you did and when you got on there with your buddies, we would fill lobbies and just have a blast doing the races, doing a lot of the survival stuff and just shooting each other up. We found a lot of fun things to do in the city, not even in the missions, just driving around, causing chaos in the city. And it was an absolute blast, probably logged about 300 hours into that game, which I know for a lot of you is is way low on the scale of how much time you've plugged into one game. But for me, that was extremely high. It will be the most probably I ever put into an individual game. So Grand Theft Auto V gets my nod for my favorite game of all time. Hey guys, this is Derek Secchi. Um, everyone for this show is doing segments on their favorite games, and so obviously I'm going to do a about my favorite game, Tales of Symphonia. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a JRPG from the GameCube, 
So it's a little bit older. Um, and the reason why I think it's kind of unique is because I'm under no illusions that it's not a great game. You know, the graphics leave a lot to be desired. Some of the gameplay is just fleshed out as it could be. It's not, certainly not the best game in the world. But for me it was because of what it taught me. You know, maybe it's because I played it at a young age, but it really did affect how I grew up. The characters and the themes from it stuck with me. Even now I can rattle off every character in the game by heart, at least the ones you play with. I mean, that, that kind of stuff, that character development takes a lot and means a lot that it stuck with you. And every character from that game has a different archetype that they're portraying and a different lesson that they teach you. You know, if you're playing through the game, I know when I played, you know, I took a lot from each of the characters. From Genus, I learned that you're never too young to stand up for what's right. From Colette, I learned that you can't be afraid to ask for help when you need it. From Rain, I learned that sometimes you have to sacrifice to do the right thing. From Kratos, I learned that no matter how much you try, you can't run from your past. From Sheena, I learned that everyone has something that they're fighting to protect. From Zelos, I learned that no matter how you're born, you're the one who decides your fate. From Regal, I learned that no matter what you've done, it's never too late to seek redemption. From Persei, I learned that terrible things can happen to good people for no reason. And from Lloyd, I learned that even through all of that, friends are worth fighting for. And that's why I have to say it's my favorite game, because no other game since have I felt that kind of connection with characters with, to where they actually affected me and I took something away from their development. So, I mean, that's just my ramblings on a silly little JRPG from the GameCube. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Have a good rest of your day. Okay, so this is Shanna. I am a co-host of the Fool's Lantern, also on the Frozen North network of podcasts. And I just finished The Expanse, watching it with Marcus and my good friend Jillian. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about my favorite video game. My favorite video game, and this was a little bit hard for me to figure out because favorite is such a hard term for me. But it's got to be Mass Effect. And I mean the series, the game series, Mass Effect. Here's the reasons why. One, it's like Star Trek. Jillian, elaborate. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It's like a modern Star Trek. It's It's like, it is awesome. It's like, I don't know, it's got the feel of Star Trek because you're out in space. But I mean, and we love sci fi. You know what? And. You can go pretty freaking deep into that whole game. Like, they've got all these little entries you can read. Every single planet has a whole thing about what kind of environment it has Mm. and this, that, and the other. What's your favorite of the three Mass Effects? Oh, that's really hard. I mean, I really liked... I think two is probably my favorite. Two is my favorite as well. It's all about those loyalty missions. It is. I really like that. The characters... The romance? Yeah, that's pretty good, because you can romance more than just... I think Mass Effect 1, you had one... You had two. You had f***ing Caden or Liara. Yeah, that was it. But I remember thinking in that first game, like, hey, I'd like to bang Garrus. And you know what they gave me in the second game? Garrus. Garrus. Oh, that's who I picked. I was like, yeah, Yeah. I'm going to go for that Garrus. But anywho, okay, so I was going to choose my favorite game based on, like, the games I played the most. So I was thinking, like, oh, Link to the Past, Ocarina of Time... You know, Skyrim I played a lot of, 
like a lot of hours into it, but thinking of the game that I would pick up again today, it would be Mass Effect just because I, you can go so many different ways. Um, I know that the third game kind of ended in a disappointed, disappointing way. Mm-hmm. It's not quite as varied as I was expecting, but still the journey is so good that I forgive that. Mm-hmm. And I would still play that game today. The percentage of the series that I didn't like is so small compared to the percentage of the series that I did like. And it's such a good story and so many good characters. So this is kind of a short one. Do you have anything special to say about Mass Effect? No, but I just, I just really, like the way that the Normandy looked is Mm. always, I mean, just the shape of it. That's my, the Normandy is such a good setting. Yes. Whenever I imagine, if I'm reading a book about space or whatever, whenever I imagine a ship, I imagine the Normandy because I just love the way it looks. And Shepard is such a great character. I always played female Shepard. I don't know about you. I thought that was the better voice actor. Yeah. The voice actor for female Shepard is way better than the male Mm -hmm. voice actor. She gets really into it. She gets very emotional sounding. But anyway, wrapping up. Favorite game series of all time, Mass Effect. It's got to be Mass Effect. Jillian, mm-hmm. do you have any honorable mentions? Um, I'm play. I just finished uh, Fallout Four, so probably New- Fallout New Vegas is an honorable mention. You got to get those. Uh, well, okay, New Vegas. I was going to talk to you about settlements. Oh, the settlements took up way too much time <laughs> for me. Like I loved it, but it was like it was Sims meets. Fallout, and it just half the time on my playthrough is just settlement crap. That so. sounds great. <laughs> Anywho, this is Shanna and Jillian signing off. My favorite game is Mass Effect. Hello, everyone. Eric here, and I want to tell you about my favorite game of all time. It's hard to believe just how much I enjoyed it, and after thinking about it since the game's launch, I have to say that Metal Gear Solid V The Phantom Pain is my favorite game of all time. This game stole so many unexpected hours from me, and I still go back to it having done all of the missions at least a half a dozen times. This game is just fun, constantly hitting the pleasure centers of my brain with rewards and unexpected open-world hijinks. There's a flow here that's not seen in many games. Aside from completing your main objectives, your goal as a player is to build up Mother Base, an offshore oil rig that is home to you and your soldiers. You do this by literally strapping balloons to things. People, animals, vehicles, cargo containers... If it isn't nailed down, you should probably tie a balloon to it and watch it fly high into the sky. As you build your base, you gain access to new upgrades and tools. This allows you to change up your gameplay style or reinforce your preferred style. I played it entirely as a stealth game, but you can just as easily go in guns blazing with rocket launchers and machine guns. The open world gives you a crazy amount of freedom to play how you want, and you can even go into missions with a buddy. The buddies include a horse for transportation a dog for situational awareness, a supernatural sniper for scouting and cover fire, or a robot with roller skates that you can strap miniguns to. All of them have their use, and they are all awesome. The story is super lackluster, especially for a Metal Gear game, but at the end of the day, I just didn't care. The gameplay and feedback loop was so powerful that I got 100% completion after 158 hours of play, and I'm even playing through it again. I highly recommend it to people who love gameplay mechanics and can look past some story flaws. Thanks for listening. And keep on gaming. Hey everyone, this is Tank from the Fool's Lantern Podcast. At first it seemed impossible to choose a single favorite game. Different games claim that title from time to time for a variety of reasons. Dark Souls, Borderlands, Team Fortress 2, Descent, and recently The Witness have all had claims to the throne. But after a little discussion, it became clear that the only logical choice is Final Fantasy IX. Released in 
2000 from Square Enix. This is the pinnacle of a series that is widely considered the pinnacle of RPGs. Final Fantasy IX combined colorful, fantastical art and character design that both paid tribute to and reinvented the series' roots. The classic NES-era jobs of Thief, Fighter, Black, White, Red, and Blue Mage are all repurposed for this world. A musical score that stands out as some of Nobu Uematsu's finest work backs a complex, impersonal story of political intrigue, individual freedom, swashbuckling adventure, and Moogles in need of correspondence. The game did a fantastic job balancing a light and playful tone with significantly darker elements, and tied it all together with, for the first time in the series' history, a near-flawless localization that allows the writing and dialogue to truly shine. Final Fantasy VII was my first introduction to this series, and in the years since I've played nearly every entry, but Final Fantasy IX remains the gold standard, where every element combines flawlessly. Locations such as Lindblom, Trino, and Southgate, musical themes like Gargan Rue, Hunter's Chance, or Melodies of Life, side quests and minigames like Tetramaster, Kokobo Hot and Cold, following Stiltskin, earning Excalibur II, defeating Ozma. Honestly, I could spend hours and hours, probably an entire podcast, talking Final Fantasy IX with everybody. And the impending Steam re-release makes this the perfect time to say, I want to be your canary one more time. Hey everyone, my name is Eric, but my friends call me Tucci. This week we were told to answer what is your favorite game of all time. A few honorable mentions I have, Final Fantasy IX, Rocket League, Minecraft, and Halo 2. But without a doubt, my most favorite game of all time has to be Diablo 2. Seriously, one of the best memories I have from playing games as a kid was taking down Diablo and his brother Bale for the very first time and seeing what awesome loot their corpse held for me. The whole good versus evil complex, you know? Something about that just kind of does my heart good. In an earlier episode with JJ, I had mentioned a bit about being at school and just having this overwhelming feeling of excitement to go home and fire up the computer to start the fight against evil once more. I've always seemed to have a split between my paladin and necromancer, I just really couldn't ever decide who to play first. A true adventure nonetheless. Did I mention there was loot? I mean, three words. Secret. Cow. Level. All I have to say about that is, moo. The online gameplay was my first experience in the gaming community. Little did I realize at the time that would fuel my ultimate crave to connect with others enjoying the same activities that I did. You know, like getting loot. From cave to dungeon to crypt to prisons, hour by hour, time used to fly by as I clashed with enemy forces with the end goal of ridding evil from the land once more. Whether it was casting spells, sweeping my sword, or summoning creatures of all variety to do my work for me, one thing I knew for sure was I wouldn't stop until the ultimate evil fell at my feet. Seriously though, oh my god, the loot. I don't know, call me a back rat I guess. Thanks again JJ for the opportunity to share my thoughts with the Frozen North podcast. See y'all next time. Woo! Man, that was uh, quite the collection it of was. favorite games. And, There's uh, a lot of great variety in that. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And, and as I mentioned uh, on the previous episode, um, if you would like to participate in doing this, uh, but you you know you don't want to record yourself, you don't you don't have the capability, or you just yeah like you just don't want to. Right. Um, you are more than welcome to shoot us an email with 
the, your submission on that as well. And we, I, I would be more than happy to read it on the air, which is uh, what our friend End of Pi did. And it looks like it's on Shadow Hearts. <clears throat> Imagine Final Fantasy set in a Devil May Cry world. That is one way of describing the Shadow Hearts series. This series takes place in an alternate reality of our world spanning across many countries, including North America, in the early 1900s. In fact, in one game, Alcatraz is a dungeon and Al Capone is a character you must save. It is your typical save-the-world plot, but there are some twists. First, you have your cast, the Harmonics, often the main character, who can transform into monsters with the progression eventually reaching the levels of Super Saiyan. Then you have your companions. Each of them have unique skills that often fill a special role in the party, such as capturing abilities or playing an elemental part. Their abilities often reflect their personality, such as a vampire wrestler looking for the biggest object to smash his opponents with, or a ventriloquist who dresses his doll in new outfits that increase her attacks. While often just comical or just weird, the strange party does does help offset some of the more haunting moments in the game where some setting could easily fit in survival horror. There are some unique features of the game, such as the sanity points. The more you lose, the closer the character's mind breaks and goes berserk, making that character the biggest threat to the party. Then there is the Judgment Ring, where it puts skill back into the player's hand, where timing not, al- not only allows the attack to hit, but a perfect press will-, will cause a critical. While this isn't the perfect game, it is one of my favorites because it offers a unique setting that you do not find in JRPGs, and while some gameplay mechanics can be frustrating at times, such as Malice in the first game, they serve as a plot device that helps immerse you into the world. There are also good and bad endings of each game, but the details to obtain them are significant enough to the plot that your ending is deserved in the choices that you make, and while sometimes the conclusions are only slightly different, it is still that difference that matters. Most games or even stories have a love story between two characters, but this one was different in the first two games for many reasons. The main character never screamed about his love, instead he just acted in love and showed a level of commitment and the story often goes to unusual places that even to this day I can recall scenes and moments. To be honest, the gameplay and graphics are antiquated, including some of the cutscenes, but the experience truly is a unique one in so many different ways that it's a shame that the series will probably never continue or have a remaster. And actually, uh, end of pie, I apologize, man. I, I, I'm pretty sure I told him I'd play this like soon, and I need to, because I own it. Oh, really? I just need to play the freaking thing. Yeah. Because uh, it sounds really interesting, and the way he describes it just makes me really want to dig into it as well. Mm-hmm. But man, thank you so much to everybody who who submitted stuff. Holy yeah, crap, that was, that was fantastic! Like, I did not expect. I want to go home and just play all my games now. Yeah, right, both of them. Oh, uh, but, oh. <laughs> that's that's your defenses. Ah, ah. So I mean, holy, we had like they were all over the board, from what I can tell. We had absolutely uh, the Arkham series for Batman. Uh, that hijinks sent in. Um, we had Tales of Symphonia that Derek sent in. And by the way, he said in his uh, segment that uh, he, 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 I think he said, like, I know it's not a great game by any means or something like that. I disagree, sir. I think it's a fantastic game and it's awesome and it's my favorite game on the GameCube that I ever played. Uh, it's also the first game I played in the Tales series and the best one in the series, nice. in my opinion. Fantastic game, Tales of Symphonia. Great stuff. And I knew exactly what he meant with all those characters he was talking about. So it was cool to hear that. Final Fantasy IX from Tank. Amazing. And we got what else did we hear? We heard uh there was um GTA five. GTA five from Sean. Uh there was Metal Gear Solid Five. Uh, Metal Gear Solid Five, Mass Effect. Diablo uh, two. Diablo two, Witcher three. Yeah. Uh I mean just 
yeah, it wasn't like there was no there's no way to pinpoint like exactly where FPSs, our audience kind of stands. RPGs, JRPGs yeah, is great. I don't think I don't think that could have gone any better in my opinion. I thought it was fantastic. So again, thank you guys so much for all your submissions and uh as far as the discussion goes, there's really not much we can say about that stuff. We we agree with all of you. They're all freaking fantastic. Nope, they're games. all wrong. They're, yeah, <laughs> even though a lot of those were on my list last last time. Right. Um, stay tuned to the end of the to to you know keep listening to this episode because at the end I'll have the question for the next episode, which is going to I think warrant some discussion for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, so look for that. And as I said before, if you you know if if you're a listener and you thought that sounded cool and you want to get in on that shoot me an email with your answer to the question uh we we ask one every episode um and then you just send it over to frozen north podcast at gmail.com i'll take a look at it and i will throw it in the episode and uh we'll we'll make a big long montage like that so please we want to get as many people uh on board to to participate in this stuff as possible so all right now mark why don't we head over to the news booth? Ooh, the news booth? The news booth. Brian, what's going on with news? Hello, everyone. It's Brian with Frozen North News. Frozen North News, brought to you by Brian. Who? Brian. And I'm in the comfort of my very own Gamer's Paradise, a.k.a. the Man Cave, a.k.a. the Gaming Scape, the wonderful wizard of... Anyway, shut up, Brian. Do the news. Alright, our first article is we've got Just Cause 3 and Rise of the Tomb Raider boosting Square Enix's revenue and uh, profits. Uh, Square Enix, which just a couple of week, uh, couple of years ago was struggling, continues to make significant financial gains. Uh, so it seems like they're on the, the high uptick, um, especially with a couple of more blockbusters down the road. I'm excited to see uh, this company, who was struggling at one point in the years past, uh, pick up a little bit more steam. I think that's going to be a fantastic addition to the gaming community with a healthy Square Enix uh, turning out games. Hopefully, they've learned from some of the mistakes made in the past and can continue to soldier on. On the next bit we've got here is uh, there's a little rumor about Kojima and Del Toro. Uh, Guillermo Del Toro, uh, the uh, director, they were going to have a little presentation at DICE. Well, we've learned a little bit more about what that is. Uh, They're actually going to be talking about their inspirations at DICE. Uh, Guillermo del Toro has been uh, uh, said, at least quoted, that he's done with video games, which is sad to hear, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's done talking to them, or about them. The film director who was working with Hideo Kojima on the cancelled Silent Hills project is joining Kojima for a presentation at the upcoming DICE Summit in Las Vegas. Um, If you haven't seen some of Guillermo del Toro's movies, um, check them out. They are pretty stylistic. I believe he had a a big hand in uh, Pacific Rim. Um, also Pan's Labyrinth, uh, just, he's a really good visual director, um, so uh, it's pretty sad that he doesn't want to do video games anymore, I think he'd be great for the the role, but uh, it's nice to hear uh, some inspirations from two powerhouses in the entertainment industry, so check out DICE when it uh, comes, I'll be doing a keynote speaking. Moving on to our next article, um, we just talked about Square Enix being on the uptick, well Nintendo is on the downtick. Uh, Nintendo profits are down 30% after the holiday quarter, um, even though uh, they bo- boosted an Amiibo sales of 20 million, uh, 20 million Amiibo sold. Uh, Nintendo has reported its financial performance for the nine months ending December 31st, 2015. The company shows a slight dip in revenue with profits down significantly compared to last year. 
hopefully this is uh, them ramping up into the uh, NX, their new um, system that they might be unveiling uh, early in 2016. Don't fear, Nintendo fans. The publisher is still comfortably in positive territory uh, despite a 31-32% fall in profits. Um, on the Wii U front, uh, Nintendo is within striking distance of its full-year goal of 3.4 million units shipped to retail. So far, it's at 3.06 million of the uh, targets that have been accounted for. So, while Square Enix seems to be doing better, Nintendo is doing a little bit worse. Uh, but we've got a lot of things on the horizon for Nintendo, and their Amiibo sales are through the roof. I've even actually started collecting a few Amiibos. I'm looking at my Shulk and my uh, Super Smash Brothers Link as I speak, and they are pretty dang cool. For those of you who don't know, uh, Mighty Number no. 9 did face a third major delay in release ships into spring. Concern at this point, this time the culprit for the game's, uh, I guess, slippage into more, uh, you know, waiting is their matchmaking, so their netcode, um, which is kind of surprising for a game like this. You wouldn't think that uh, necessarily you needed a whole lot of netcode matchmaking for a you know, 2D side-scroller in the vein of Mega Man, but apparently they do. Um, I've always said that... Uh, to delay a game is to perfect a game, uh, but there is a fine line to walk between releasing a game too soon and keeping a game, you know, delayed for too long for people lose its luster. I know I've lost my luster on uh, The Division a little bit for that reason. We've been hearing about it for so long. It's like, all right, whatever, just bring it out. So, hey, who knows? Maybe this delay is for the better. Uh, as for right now, all I can say is uh, I would really like to play a Mighty Number no. 9 game. It does look pretty good, um, and I, uh, I assume it's going to be very Mega Man-esque, so um, hopefully they get that network fixed, out, fixed up and uh, you know, sent over to us for um, mass enjoyment, and then we can make fun of Mark for, of course, not playing the game. And then, uh, for those that don't know, this is a little bit of an older story, but it's a big news story. Uh, Activision Blizzard bought MLG for $46 million, and the goal of that is they are going to build the, quote, ESPN of esports. Uh, the acquisition follows the recent creation of an active Activision esports division. Uh, it also seems like it could be a ter pretty terrible move if you uh, know the volatility of esports. Um, I'm hoping that uh, it does work out. Um, I feel like pushing esports too hard can actually have an adverse effect um, I feel like esports should be a bonus to a game. Um, like StarCraft has a rich and robust story, but it's also very balanced for esports. But they don't literally advertise it as, "Hey, look, it's an esport." I feel like esports should be organic. So, if anyone can do it, Blizzard can. Uh, Blizzard is kind of the king of esports. Um, they are the you know the godfather of the esports. So, let's hope this pans out, and let's hope we see some esports gaming in the future. I don't know, though. I'm always a skeptical person on this, but uh, we don't need to worry about it because, of course, uh, Mark won't play any of these games. Anyway, while Mark's not here to defend himself, I like to give him a little jab here and there uh, because, as we all know, he does not play games. He only talks about them. I'm Brian with Frozen North, and I'm your newsman. I'm your newsman, newsman. And I'll be here each and every podcast to give you some news and also to make fun of Mark. Thanks. Back to you guys. And we're back, Brian, with the uh, with the cheap shots on Mark. Ouch. That was pretty good. That was pretty, I'm pretty hurt. Good. 
I I don't think you're actually hurt. I think you were expecting it. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't, you know, you can't run from I'll the truth. have you know. You can't run from the truth, Mark. I'll have you know that I just beat Fallout 4, but I had to use console commands to skip the second to last mission. <laughs> so you didn't actually beat it. I did beat it. Mm, I saw the credits. Uh, you know. Saw yeah, the could, credits. I could go to YouTube and watch the credits of any game. It doesn't mean I beat it. I probably have the achievements. I haven't checked, though. I don't know, man. I don't know. So, I mean, what do you, what do you think about some of that stuff? Um, I mean, good, good, good job to, <laughs> good job to Square Enix. It's tough, tough luck for Nintendo. And yeah, yeah I won't play those games. I had no idea that it was that far. 30% profit yeah. loss. That's crazy. Yeah. But I, I, I will say that the one that stood out to me the most that he was talking about was the, uh, the Kojima and uh, Guillermo de Toro. Yeah. I'm excited. Like I didn't even get to play Silent Hills, but by the reaction that everybody got and like, I mean, oh, you mean the uh, PT? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, PT. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reaction that everybody did play it, along with you know the fact that these two are just huge, huge artists. I mean, yeah. Why would you not, you not be excited about that? So it'll be interesting to see. It's only only a few days away as well. So that's very exciting. I think it's next week. So yeah, can't wait to see. Uh, and it's a dice. So let's uh, let's hope hope for something good. Oh, and also the. Uh, MLG thing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Blizzard buying MLG. Of course they are. I don't. I I feel like, like I d- obviously esports are on the rise for sure, but right. I don't know that it they should be pushed as hard as some places are trying to push it at this point. I think because there's so many people who are still so against it, Seems especially like, being a part of the mainstream. Yeah. That I I feel like maybe they should kind of they need to ease into it. It, it seems I mean? like uh, if they're going to try and like lock it down to be about their games only and not their competitors' games, people aren't just going to go to MLG because it's MLG. They're going to go right. to whatever exists out there that has the games they actually want to play competitively. Absolutely. So, I don't know. Not sure what their logic is. I, I don't know. We'll have to just wait and see see what happens. I mean, I, I'm not going to, you know, since it's Blizzard, I love Blizzard and I love everything they do, so hopefully that'll... Uh, They'll do something right, but uh, again, we don't have any other option other than to just wait and see what happens. Yeah. So I just hope, again, they don't go you know too hard too fast. So we'll see. All right, we have a side quest for this week. It's from a voice you might know if you've listened to the show for a while. Here to talk about choice in gaming. Well, I'll let him introduce himself. Hello, everyone. This is Ryan from the Suicode and Revival Movement. I just thought I'd send off a quick little side quest here to the good folks at the Frozen North who were kind enough to give me this opportunity to talk about some interesting things I find in video games that aren't necessarily Suicoden related. And today, I really just want to talk about moral choice in video games and why moral choice in video games is often just so terrible. I mean, let's be honest here. There have been a number of truly great games in history that have presented us with moral choices that are just simply bafflingly stupid compared to, well, the intelligence of the rest of the game. I think probably the best example of this is the original Bioshock game, where it had this almost nonsensical moral choice system to it, and while the rest of the game was actually quite intelligent and fun to play, but the moral choice system was completely arbitrary and 
pointless in the end. In case you haven't played Bioshock 1, well, the moral choice system basically comes down to pressing one button or another, and choosing whether to save a young girl or kill her and harvest a resource from her. Of course, the funny thing is is that if you choose to save the girl, she usually rewards you with some of the resource anyway. And so in the end, it's just a completely false and entirely insipid decision. Another game that I think has really poor moral choice system, and it should be noted that I'm only talking about games I think are good here, because I think it's much more valuable, much more productive, if we talk about, instead of talking about bad games, we talk about how to make good games even better. And we talk about the flaws that they have and how they can be improved. Another good game that I really despise the moral choice system in is the infamous titles, specifically the first two on the PS3. Basically, the moral choice system there works. How it works is that you must either choose the fully evil path or the fully good path in order to get the best unlockables in the game, the best upgrades for your character. And the fully good path effectively can be described as being the love child of Mahatma Gandhi and Mother Teresa, and the bad path can be described as the hateful spawn of Joseph Stalin and Pol Pot. And there's literally nothing in between, in, in between those two extremes in the game. And I think it's just, it's very arbitrary and it's very boring to me to have to continually choose either the good path or the evil path continuously throughout the game. What I want to talk about is I want to talk about moral choice and kind of bring it into the real world and how moral choice actually affects us in our daily lives. And I think that's a good place to start for talking about how we can improve moral choice in video games. Now I'm going to give a bit of an example that's going to get a little bit deep here, but hopefully you'll follow along. And I'll admit I stole this example from Professor Rick Roderick, who is the professor of moral philosophy at Duke University. So hold on with me for a minute. Uh, back in the back in the 1960s, a novel was written called The Magus, and it's a very deep kind of. Uh, it's, it's less a novel and more of a philosophical exercise and psychological exercise for the reader. And in this novel, a young man meets a man called the Magus, and this Magus is very wise and begins to question the young man's presumptions about how simple the world is. And the Magus gives this example of a moral choice made during World War II. This is a fictional example, it should be noted, but one I think is pretty realistic, as you'll see. Back in World War II, let's say there was a village, a small village in Greece, that had been occupied by the Nazis. And in this village, three resist Greek resistance fighters are hiding out. And the Nazis know this, and they decide to retaliate. And what they do is this. They gather 1,000 women and children and innocents from throughout the town, and pen them up in the town square in the center of the village. They capture the three resistance fighters, and also symbolically put, tie them to three posts in the center of the village, right next to the thousand, right next to the thousand civilians. Then they bring out the mayor of this town, who we can assume is a good man, right? You know, he tries to make the most moral choice in any given situation. 
And they tell this man, they tell this mayor, that if he shoots the three resistance fighters, they will let go all the civilians, all 1,000 of the civilians. And, you know, from a certain perspective, this is an easy choice, right? The mayor struggles with this decision, but in the end, he takes the rifle from the Nazis, and he raises the rifle at the resistance fighter in the center, and attempts attempts to shoot him in order to save the 1,000 innocent lives. But the Nazis have actually pulled a trick. I mean, being Nazis, they're not exactly the nicest people around. They pulled a trick, and they had actually unloaded the rifle. And now, instead of being able to shoot the three resistance fighters, now the mayor, of course, still has to execute them, but he has to club them to death with the butt of his rifle. And this is the choice at which, with which the mayor is presented in this hypothetical scenario, but I think quite realistic scenario. What this says to us is this basically just says that morality is in reality, in the real world, it's a very messy thing, right? I mean, it, it's not quite so simple of, you know, choosing either to be a great person or an evil person. It's never that. The vast, vast majority of us, you know, try to be as good as we possibly can, but under specific circumstances, there may very well be no right answer. And this is a terrifying fact that we have to deal with in our own lives. Now, for example, just to take this into the realm of video games, let's replace the mayor with another character, shall we? Let's say, okay, the, the mayor is a weak character. Let's put a better player avatar in this, in this hypothetical video game scenario we have going. Um, and instead of the mayor, we'll just put Superman in the position of being the town, the, this Greek village's mayor. Maybe he's retired and retired to an island in Greece and became the mayor. Um, well, for Superman, the choice is actually quite easy. In fact, there is no choice. Superman would simply just punch all the Nazis in the face, take all of their guns, throw them into the sun, and then that's the end of the story. Right, because Superman is capable of doing that. That's something that he he can inherently do. Whereas someone, you know, an old elderly uh, mayor of a Greek village would be unable to do. In this, we kind of see that moral choice is less the result of our own morality, our own core morality, and in fact is often the, the result of our own limitations as people, right? So, since the mayor can't, literally cannot, just punch all of the Nazis in the face, take their weapons. Uh, he is forced to, under their thumb, make an impossible moral decision. And this plays into video games quite often, because in this sense, usually in, in game design, in the kind of the modern industrial parlance of it, you would want to give the player as much power as possible. Effectively, for our heroes and heroines, for games like Infamous and Bioshock, we're usually just making supermen out of normal people. And we're giving them the power to not choose in moral situations like this. If we were to take away some of the player's avatar strength, some of their power to decide a situation, then 
that would inherently make the moral choices we present them with much more interesting, I think. In this sense, what game designers are doing is they are effectively just shooting themselves in the foot when they try to design moral choice systems in games, and also trying to give the player as much avatar strength, the feeling of power, uh, a kind of Superman which they can project themselves onto. It's like trying to have your cake and eating it too. The two work at cross-purposes and contradict one another to a certain extent. And this is probably the core of the reason why moral choice systems in games have been so bad up until now. And as a result, moral choice itself is undermined. And usually the player will complain that they're not Superman, that they actually have to make a moral choice at all. In any event, um, I do want to talk about one game where I felt the moral choice system was, if not great, you know, at least somewhat better. Uh, and that is the first Mass Effect title, which I recently played through at the behest of Brian, Mark, and JJ here at the Frozen North. They recommended the game to me, and I thoroughly enjoyed the first one. I'm going to play through the second and third in a little while, but I felt that the moral choice system was vastly superior in Mass Effect, even though sometimes it was a little asinine and insipid. But it was vastly superior to the common moral choice systems you find. And that's because they never really gave Shepard superhuman strength, right? The character of Shepard is never a superman, but rather just a particularly capable man or woman, as the player decides. I felt that this gave quite a bit more latitude to the moral choice system in the game, making it much more interesting. And I hate to use the term, but somewhat more realistic. However, there's one more thing that we need to address when we discuss moral choice. Moral choice in the real world, and hopefully also moral choice in games. And that is simply the power of emotion. Let's go all the way back to our example of a Greek mayor of a village attempting to shoot one of the resistance members in order to save a thousand civilians. And the gun is empty and he is now forced to club these three resistance members to death with the butt of the rifle. Let's say that after much soul-searching, much tearing out of his hair over this, he decides, I'm going to do it. I'm going to club these three good men to death in order to save 1,000 good women, children, civilians, so on and so forth. And he raises the rifle over his head, about to club the first resistance fighter to death. And out of the resistance fighter's lips come the word freedom. And at this moment, the mayor breaks psychologically and emotionally, and he can't do it. He drops to his knees and begins to weep. And at that point, the Nazis see that he doesn't have, as they call it, enough resolve, and they shoot the three resistance fighters and the entire 1,000 civilians, leaving the mayor alone. And that's the end of the story. In reality, we're not just limited by our own moral choices and by the situations that we are presented with, but also by our own emotions, our own core morality that reaches deep inside of us. And this happens to all truly good people will come up against some wall somewhere where they simply cannot act and cannot even make a choice 
just simply because of this core, innate, almost primal type of morality inside of us. And the vast majority of human beings possess this. Nazis probably were trained to repress it, unfortunately, in this situation and in real life. Um, but yeah, the ve- most human beings would never be able to hurt their fellow human being in that way, even if it meant saving a thousand innocent lives. You just break down, and that would be the end of it. And I think that this is something that games also need to address. Is They need to address the emotional, moral core of their characters. And unfortunately, in this emotional, moral core, there is really very little room for player agency or giving choice to the player. You have to decide that as the artist behind, the author behind any particular game. And this, again, will to a certain extent take agency away from the player, and that's too bad in certain circumstances. But I think in the end it would be helpful for us to explore these types of things because I think it could really end up giving a lot of a lot of depth to moral choice systems in games. Much more like Mass Effect and much less like Bioshock and Infamous. And if you've never played Bioshock and Infamous, I suggest you do. They're fun, fun games. They're very well designed, very fun to play, but the moral choice systems weigh them down almost like a tumor, and it's rather quite terrible. Well, that's all I had to say in this little side quest. Thank you all for listening, and uh, thank the Frozen North, thank JJ, Marcus, and Brian for giving me the opportunity to talk here today. I'd also like to plug the Suikoden Revival movement. We're dedicated to the the revival of the Suikoden franchise. Please check us out on facebook.com backslash Revival or suikodenrevivalmovement.com. Thanks again, and I hope to see you all soon with another side quest. Mark, I'm going to choose to think that that was an awesome side quest. You have to make the choice, otherwise it is ultimately meaningless. <laughs> uh, no, that was that was fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. Glad I, to hear he's played uh, Mass Effect and found it to be slightly better than most morality systems and games. Yeah, and it, we've talked to him about it before, you know, outside of the show, obviously. But yeah. uh, he he's gonna, like you said, he's gonna play through the rest of them. I can't wait to get his, his take on the uh, the second and third ones because right. those are the ones that we really got into uh, big yeah. time. And the first one was good. But uh, the improvements they made, especially to you know the inventory and all that stuff, I, I will say I think the morality choices in the third game are a lot more convenient than they are in the first two. Agreed, absolutely. It's just like oh, if I'm compassionate, that's the best choice every time. I I think, I mean, for for a video game, I think that's something they kind of they kind of had to do. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, think about how many possible ways that could have gone. Right. You know, if they really wanted to 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 make it to where it's like. Okay, every decision you make truly affects the entire universe. Yeah. You know, it could have branched off so many different ways. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they had to do it that way. But uh, I think, Ryan, I think you need to try The Witcher 3. Definitely. For sure. I think I think there's uh, there's quite a bit that, uh, that you'll find interesting in that. Uh, there were so many times when, I mean, that whole game is just one big gray area. There's not, and, and it, it actually, it, it pretty much is completely um, aware of the fact that the main character, Geralt, who you are playing, is not going to, you know, save the world 
or yeah. oh definitely you know do he he's just kind of Geralt's there. got his own mission and he's in the middle of this giant war that he's not really going to solve it's not i mean he can't hope to solve it right but he's got to you know maneuver his way through it and he's often ending up in situations where party a is morally corrupt party b is morally corrupt and whose side does he take or can he find a third option and I think that's a lot more satisfying than, oh, help the helpless people stop the tyrant. Absolutely. And it, it, it really, like, it just goes to show you that, you know, you can you can want to do the right thing always, but that doesn't mean the right thing is always going to get done. Yeah. So it's... it's And it, you know what? It makes, it makes the right thing sometimes cost you dearly. Absolutely. Which is important. It can't be convenient. If it's always convenient to make the right choice, then you're not really learning anything. Yeah, Absolutely. Because, I mean, it's boring in that in that sense. Yeah. Like, the way that I played the game, I got the ending that I wanted. Uh, I, I believe I got the good ending, um, and I was totally satisfied with the way it turned out. But if I hadn't, I, I guarantee you, and there was there was still some side quests in that game that I played to completion, and then at the end of it, I saw what happened and from the decisions I made, and I'm like, oh, I wish I could go back and do that again. Right. Just because of what, you know, what, what transpired and what ended up happening. Um, but there's nothing you can do when you get to that point, you know, and that's that's exactly how real life is you know things happen and you can you can always hope for the best you can always try to try to do what it is that you think is the right choice but it ain't going to turn out that way necessarily Mm -hmm. and i'm I'm glad that we're starting to get past the uh sliding scale of morality phase in video games um where like you need a little more blue on my uh exactly arrow there (laughs) you had it with all the fable games where it's like oh you do bad things and you get horns you do good things you get a halo that's completely vapid um yeah. you uh mass effect kind of was a little bit better because it didn't have good versus evil it was paragon versus renegade right which was like just almost more of like a uh, lawful versus chaotic kind of approach yep. um the problem was though like once you hit a certain level of paragon or a certain level of renegade it would lock you out from these other choices right at a, at a certain point which but maybe that's actually a really intelligent thing because it's, it? it's, it's making you accept that your character acts in a certain way and just because you're a, video, you're a player with a controller in your hands, you can choose whatever's convenient for you. But a character, a human being, doesn't actually operate that way. They operate based on tendencies and uh, their own personality. So what if I wanted to play you know, a game where Commander Shepard starts off at the, as this big jerk fair, fair enough. You know, and he wants to change his ways? You know, I, I, it's better than nothing, though. No, but, no, but I, I agree I, with what you're saying. Yeah. If if there could be a point. more uh, non-binary approach to morality in those games, it would be better. Sure, but at least they're giving you some kind of. It's that illusion of choice that we right. talked about before, and honestly, it really doesn't affect me that much because I always am the guy who wants to play. You know what? It's kind of weird because in video games, I always want to do the right thing and and be the good guy and be the hero. But we've played like we've played D and D tabletop yeah. before, and I tend to like pick like a rogue or right. uh, you know a, a a wizard or a fighter or something like that where you know I I've I'll, I'll want to do the right thing overall, but I'm not above going out of my way to screw somebody else over in those situations. I don't. Know, it's a right, little weird that, that I don't Geralt. do that in video games. Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, yeah, Ryan, check out check out Witcher Three, man. At some point, but uh, you're gonna have to set up set aside a long amount of time because it's a it's a long game. As Mark is, is finding out, hey, right now, it's worth it though, <laughs> for sure. So, uh, yeah, and I I mean, 
he he said it in at the end of the side quest, but definitely go check out the Sweet in Revival movement. Uh, SweekitInRevivalMovement.com and also on Facebook over at uh, Sweekitin or Facebook.com slash SweekitInRevival. Uh, I mean, again, if you're a, a longtime listener of the show, you know that Ryan's been on a couple of times and always, always fascinating to hear from him. And uh, yeah. he's got he's got just such he's got such knowledge of history and and just great stories up there that it's just it's always a treat whenever we have him on. So. Uh, with that, I think, I think, uh, we'll go ahead and just throw out the, before we close it for the day, our contributor question for episode number 82. This one I think is going to probably get people talking. Do you want me to read it? Cause I closed my tablet. <laughs> now I kind of do. No, I'm kidding. Okay. I, I can do it uh, from memory and you're going to correct me if I'm wrong. Do it. What is the most important aspect of a video game? Is it the story? Is it the gameplay or is it the third option? I forgot. What would you think it is? Mm. Someone's calling me. Graphics. Graphics. <laughs> it's not graphics. That's I couldn't remember because it's such a bogus option. What's most important to you in a game? Story, gameplay, or graphics? Now, I want to put a little caveat on that. You don't have to answer it and say, like, story is the most important thing and that's that. Obviously, I think we can all agree that the, They're the all best important. video games are, you know, a, a good, solid combination of everything. Right. Absolutely. But what you know? What stands out to you the most? What do you look for when 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 it? Uh, what pulls you in the most? This is the conversation it? starter, essentially. Yeah, now I mean, you I, just tell I've, us. I've had games where the story was fantastic, but the gameplay was a dud. Uh, you know, and I had to kind of be like, "Is this really worth it?" And vice versa. True. If if any game's completely lacking one of those things, it's going to be a difficult game to play. <clears throat> yep, exactly. That's a big reason why people can't get into Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, you know, fantastic story, fantastic gameplay, but the graphics are really tough to to look through. Yep. So, I mean, that's a good example of of where graphics would become an important part of it. But what is the most important part, in your opinion? That's what we're asking, and that's what we want you to send over to us. Record yourself, uh, one to two minutes. Frozen North Podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, I think a lot of people have been using Google Drive to send it over through that. But uh, we again, we're on Facebook. Uh, FN Contributors is the name of the group. It's a closed group, but if you want to contribute or something, just get a hold of us. I will get you an invite into that group. We've been, I mean, I, I, daily I see a new post in there, almost daily, That's great. Uh, where people are just you know talking about games and uh, what they're playing next and, and whatnot. And everybody in there is really really friendly. It's been really good so far. So I got a good feeling, and obviously this episode, you know, we got a lot of people who are interested in, in contributing. So. A big, big thank you to everybody who did. And uh, I think that's all I have for this episode. Mark, what about you? <laughs> Keep on gaming! <laughs> you son of a... I, hey, someone else did it too. That's, that's true. All right, then. Once again, for the Frozen North Podcast, episode number 81, my name is JJ. And I'm Mark. And as Mark already beat me to it. Keep on gaming. You jerk. Our theme song was made available through the Creative Commons Attribution License by Ziphoid. The song title is Radical Fanfare.